wants Timothy to, to remain focused and steadfast. He wants Timothy to be this man of God that can uh, flag, can, can uh, guide this ship of the church of Ephesus that he's entrusted to him to a good doctrinal stance. He wants him to be a strong man of faith. He also wants Timothy to be an example. We read uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 4 that he should be an example despite his youth and not let his youth be an, kind of a reason for people to not trust him or not allow him to preach or teach or be a part of leadership. He wants Timothy to be practicing and being immersed in the faith and being active in faith. We also read 1 Timothy chapter 6, where we hear about false teachers and the consequences of those false teachers and the reality that they have desires that are worldly desires. As I imagine Paul writing these letters, he's thinking about all the times in his own life that he's come across these very same challenges. And he's calling on his son, Timothy, in the faith to learn from his, his mistakes, learn from his experiences, learn from his life of ministry, and he's passing it on as a father to a son. So hear that in Paul this morning, and hear it from the word of God to your heart. You should understand that these are very personal words, but also they're for you. They're personal words, words for you. So with that in mind, let's pray, prepare ourselves for worship this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. We value it, we love it, we cherish it. We pray that it would no longer be something that we just do, it would be something that we do because we love to do it. We love to read, we love to understand what, who you are and why you do what you do and understand how we can exhibit that character before others so that they can know the gospel, they can know the truth. I pray as Timothy hears these words, we would hear them too as children in the faith. I pray these things in your son's name. Amen. I'll begin with an illustration, actually not from me, but from Charles Spurgeon. Uh, it's about homing pigeons. And this right here is a picture of a habitat. Uh, the dove here, is, as an example, would, would live here, and they would return here whenever they are released. As children, we saw men throw up carrier pigeons into the air, laden with letters, and we foolishly wondered how, would the, how the dove knew the way to go with the letter, dreaming as we did that it flew with it wherever the person chose the direction, the, to direct the envelope. We soon learned the secret. The dove bears letters to her own dovecote or home or habitat. She will go nowhere else with it. The man does not know how to make the dove fly in any direction than towards its own home. The dove is thrown up into the air. She mounts aloft, whirls round and round and round, looking with eager eyes at the last she sees the place where she has been accustomed to rest and where her little ones have been reared, and she darts straight to the spot. Just as before in the ark was built, no doubt this bird frequented many such a chosen spot where where it had built its nest and reared its young. Its heart went toward it. Though it had been on the ark so long, it had not forgotten the past, and therefore no sooner had liberty it seeked and, and flown in the direction of its own dovecote, its own home. Although the coat had been swept away forever, just as that you and I, before we knew the Savior, had a rest, before we had experienced the sweetness of his love, we found our joy in sin. We built our nest 
and we thought in, our, thought in our hearts that we would never be moved. We were satisfied once after a fashion with the vanities of this world. We, lo- we had our loves, our joys, our pleasures, our delights. We had our, our carnal nature within us. And when, it's, when, when we get our liberty, we are sure to try to go back to our old haunts. Have you not frequently, when in service of God, brought your recollection dark scenes of sin which you have shared? Yes, the dovecote still is attracted to its home. The best of men, even the best of men, have still within them the seeds of those sins that makes, them, that makes sin so terrible. The old serpent still creeps along in the heart of the garden of God. Our gold is mixed with dross, our skies bear many clouds, and the clearest river of humanity still has a mire at the bottom of it. I do not wonder that the dove flies home. And just like the dove, we forget our God, and we try to fly home to our sin. Brothers and sisters, you and I, much like this dove, we lean towards our old ways, and we need to be reminded of who we are in Christ, that we have a new identity, a new Savior, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He is ours, and we are his. This morning, the big idea is that we are commanded to turn and fight. To turn and fight, to turn from our worldly desires and to fight the good fight of faith. As we see in our text this morning, we get to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 to 16. Paul is going to use what he's taught Timothy thus far in the book of 1 Timothy. He's going to contrast it with a very clear plea, a very clear exhortation on Timothy to do the opposite of what these false teachers have done. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 to 16 says, But as for you, O man of God, he has just finished speaking about the false teachers. Flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you were made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained, free from reproach, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time, he who is the blessed and the only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. See, it's a strong, passionate plea. You hear Paul's, Paul's passion in this plea. And it begins with turning. It begins in verse 11 with the turn from our worldly desires. But as for you, O man of God, I want to take us back a couple of verses to chapter 6, verses 2 through 10. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicion, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain, but godliness with contentment. 
is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these things, we'll be content. But those who desire to be rich will fall into temptation, into a snare, a trap, into many senseless, harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and it's through this craving many have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. This is where he goes into his plea. But don't pursue those things. Don't pursue those things that, that produce painful infliction of, of terrible consequences of sin. Don't pursue those things, Timothy, because I see that in ministry and I see that in the world and I don't want you to experience these things because I know that you know the truth. And there's care here. O man of God, in verse 11. Oh, that we would be men and women of God. Paul here, using this language, must be very special to Timothy. To hear his mentor call him a man of God, a man that follows God, a man who bears the characteristics of God. Other men of God in the scripture are such as Moses in Deuteronomy 31, a man of God, 1 Samuel 9, 6. But he said to him, Behold, there is a man of God in this city, and he is held, a man who is held in high honor. David is a man of God. He's also a man after God's own heart. Elijah was considered a man of God. Elisha was considered a holy man of God. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 9, And she said to her husband, Behold, now I know that this is a holy man of God who continually passes our way. Timothy was a man of God. Let that be said of us, that the most defining characteristic of our lives is that we are of God. And what does he do? He runs from temptations in verse 11. This, this word here is active present. This is right now. This is an imperative. You are to be doing this right now. Run away from these things, Timothy. Escape from these things. Think back to Genesis and Joseph fleeing Potiphar's wife in the face of great temptation. Think of fleeing from temptation and sin and running towards godly character, godly virtue. He's also pointing back to the immediate context of chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. Instead of those teachers, they desired to be rich, and as a result, they fell into temptation. They had the love of money, which was the root of all kinds of evil. Even words like this, this craving, this hunger, this desire, you could even go as far as to say this lust, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. These pangs are distresses, woes, peril on themselves. And this is concern for Timothy, just as it is concern for us. When we pursue the things of the world, we should not be surprised when we face consequences, when we face the realities that sin costs something. Even though the devil would try to persuade us otherwise, sin cost us life in Christ. Even if your life goes well, if you have money, if you have a big house, if you have a great job, if you have a powerful position, sin costs you your walk with God that intimacy, that closeness that you 
have as a child of God. If you choose to wander away, you won't lose your salvation if you're a genuine believer, but you will lose that intimacy. God will not cease to be faithful, but if you choose to walk away, if you choose to live in sin, don't expect to have this intimate relationship with God. Get to know him. Run toward him. Run from temptation and run towards godly character. There's the positive in running away, but now running towards. This is the idea of turning around, going towards something different, a different goal, just as a runner runs towards a different goal. Run towards godly character. Again, the idea here is present active. Right now, pursue this godly character. In chapter 11, in verse 11, it says, pursue these things, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Now, righteousness is a purity of heart that's being right and doing right. That's godliness, piety, or reverence towards God. This is the sum of all virtuous nature. This is the sum of God, sum of who he is. And of faith, to have that daily dependence, that trust, that reliance, and knowing that not only in the short term for today and tomorrow, but for eternity, my faith is in God. And he is unchanging. And my, 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 my promises are unwavering. It, it is for eternity. That faith in God. Pursue this love, this agape, self-sacrificing, affectionate love of God. Pursue love. And when I say pursue, I mean we should be practicing. We should be entertaining these things in our lives. We should be contemplating how God loved others and consequently living out our love for others. We should be steadfast, enduring, always patient, continuously patient. Gentleness, meekness, humility. We understand that these are attributes of God that we can actually bear. These are communicable attributes of God. And you may be sitting there thinking, well, I do want to pursue these things. I do want to be this way. I want to have this godly character. But life is hard and temptations are real. And that's true. And the good news is that you don't have to do it alone. The good news is that the Holy Spirit in Galatians says that he works these things through us, that these things happen to us when we let the Spirit work in our lives. We yield ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit, and we allow him to change us into the image of Christ. So yes, we are to be pursuing these things, but we are not pursuing this alone. And we have the God of the universe who sent his Son to die on a cross for our sins, who when he ascended back into heaven promised that the helper would come and to assist us in our daily Christian lives, our walk with him. We're not alone in our pursuit of godly character as we run towards godly character. This idea of running is is powerful. Running is not passive. Running is something you're, you're, you're actively doing. It's something you have to do intentionally. Think of the prodigal son from the Gospels where once the father sees his son from afar off, he runs, he pursues, he chases after his son, and when he sees his son, he chases, he embraces him. There's nothing to separate the father from the son 
once he sees him. That kind of passion, that kind of zeal should be ours to pursue godliness. Think of Paul's own words in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Think where he is running a race where he's using self-control and laying off the sins that so easily beset him and running the race to win a prize. We ought to be doing these things. We ought to be running after godly character. But how do I run after these things? How? I start by meditating on the words of God. I meditate on what God says is true. Because I cannot live out what I do not know. And practically speaking, it is a Sunday school answer, but read your Bible and pray every day. It's real, it's impactful, it's not just a saying. Live out the characteristics you read in Scripture. And think about, as you read Scripture, how do you compare? I look at God, I look at myself, how do I compare? How do I spend my time and money? What do I listen to? What do I watch? What do I talk about? What do I get excited about? If someone's sitting next to me in a coffee shop and they can tell I'm getting excited about something and something that I'm really passionate about, do they consider me a man of God because of how passionate I am about the things of God? Or is it more about sports or money or power? What's it about that you're passionate about? What do you care about? And if you find that you are lacking in those things, know that there is hope. Know that God has not changed, even though you may have wandered away. That God is still ever-present, and God wants to reconcile himself, reconcile you back to himself, and he wants you to live in faith today. And know that no matter how long you have wandered away, you maybe think, well, 10, 15, 20 years, I feel like I've just abandoned God and I don't know if there's any hope. Well, there is hope today because Jesus died for your sins. Because those sins do not count against you. You are positionally perfect before God because he died in your place and you are a child of God, a co-heir with Christ. And those sins do not matter because if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of all unrighteousness. Be yielded to the Holy Spirit's work in your life and allow him to turn you, to change you into the image of Christ. Prioritize this godly character. Meditate on these things. Work these things out. Ask somebody for help. Ask a brother or sister in Christ. If, if you're struggling, ask somebody for help. They want to help. We are to turn, but also we are called to an action, and that action is to fight. Look at verse 12 with me. It says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and to which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. This is a fight. This is something you have to be engaged in, otherwise you will lose. You have to care. You have to know that this is something that I have to do. This is a sense of duty. This fight is of faith. It's not of flesh and blood. This is an active trust and confidence in Jesus for daily life, for your goals, for your marriage, for your kids' lives, for your career, for your eternity, for everything. 
It means that we must have confidence in God to fulfill his promises. We must have confidence that no matter what happens, my God is still the same, and his promises are good as long as he is good, and that is for all of eternity. I fight this fight by being firmly rooted in the word of God. Am I being confident in the word of God? It also says I I should fight, I should be confident in my testimony, I should withstand the temptations of these worldly philosophies we just saw in uh, verses 2 to 10. Because Timothy is not just in an echo chamber here of believers. He is facing people who are coming in the church and teaching a false doctrine. And he is facing people who are going to try to sway people away from the truth of God's word. And he has to be aware of these false worldly philosophies. He has to not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, as Paul says in Romans. He has to be confident and fight, knowing that he has the Savior by his side. He is on the winning side. He has to be bold in confronting false teaching, constantly evaluating the preaching and teaching and what people are saying and understanding. I have to compare everything that's said from this pulpit and from your classrooms and from the foyer to this word of God. Because this is the Bible. This is God's holy word. This is the standard. He has to confront the false teachers boldly and to uproot them for the betterment of the flock as a pastor, as a leader, a spiritual leader. He has to take hold of eternal life in verse 12. It's the idea of grasping something that you care about. It's valuing something so much. If you have one thing to carry out of your home while it's on fire, grasp that thing that is most important to you. What do you value the most? I'm taking hold of this eternal life. And when you grasp eternal life, when you really begin to understand the magnitude of what it is, everything else becomes of far less importance. It's a call to hold on to eternal life. It is vitality in your Christian life. It's living with the understanding of your blessed position in Christ. Do not forget that you are alive in Christ. Do not forget that you have the word of God that is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and you are going to spiritual warfare. This good confession is referenced again in chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Do not neglect the gift which you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders lay their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that you may, all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save yourself in your hearers. This confession of eternal life, I may have had the wrong reference for that. This confession is that Jesus is God. It is literally the gospel. It is the fact that you will stand before a trial of people, as Jesus did before Pontius Pilate, and declare that Jesus is God in the face of death. As a Christian, hold the good confession of faith with confidence, with absolute authority from the word of God, knowing that it is true. That is our fight. That is what we hold. That is what we proclaim. That is what we are so confident in. 
And with that, we have a focus. And as Paul is going to, going to continue, you're going to see another thing that Paul does all the time is where he gets wrapped up in who God is and just cannot stop talking about God. He does not stop talking from verses 13 to 16 about who God is. And it starts with the charge. The charge here, I believe, to be broad, broadly applied to the charge for Timothy to be this man of God, to uphold the, cha- the, the challenge of uprooting the false teachers and to pursue true doctrine, to, pr- to pursue virtue. This charge that Paul has been get, that Paul's given to Timothy is that of a man of God pursuing the will of God with the people of God. Verse 13 says, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who, is his, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then take a breath, Paul. He says, another comma there, which he will display at the proper time. He who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who is alone in immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, to whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. You realize that section of scripture could have just been, I charge you in the presence of God the Father and God the Son. That's all it could have been. That wasn't enough for Paul. Paul wanted to really nail down in, in front of, of Timothy, this is exactly who this charge is for. This is the focus. This is why it's so important. It's not before your parents or your town. This is before the God of the universe. This is before the, the most important one to ever exist, to ever be. He is holy, righteous altogether. He is justice. He is righteousness. He's the Lord of lords, the King of kings. And as you look at the attributes here and the, the, the position that he puts God in, that he recognizes God for, it's, it's really breathtaking. Under the attributes, it says he is the only sovereign. He is in control. He is powerful over all. He is also immortal. He is the only one in immortality, undying and eternal. He is forever God. He is blessed. He is highly favored by God. He is the king of kings, the ruler over all. There is nothing that slips, slips underneath or goes farther beyond his rule. He is the ruler of all, the Lord of lords. He is the head of all things. He secures all possessions. He dwells, this is one of my favorite ones here, he dwells in unapproachable light. He is holy beyond comprehension. We can't even comprehend how beautiful he is because we cannot see him. He is majestic beyond knowing, and he is God. It's amazing how we can list off all these attributes of God and know all these, these things about God, and yet it still is just as impactful to say he is God. He has eternal dominion. He has power and strength for all of eternity. So as Timothy is hearing these words, he's reading these words, he's, he's hearing Paul exhort him to turn from these worldly desires, turn from the, the false teaching that, that is being presented, uproot them, get rid of them, and teach good Christian doctrine. Be virtuous, pursue godliness. And think about the focus of this fight. 
It's not just do this, do this, do this. It's do this because this is your God. He's all these things. He's blessed, King of kings, Lord of lords. He dwells in unapproachable light. He is sovereign. He is immortality. And that is our God today. That is the God that we worship this morning in Altoona, Iowa. That is the God that will be with you tomorrow at your workplace. And you can be just as confident in your God tomorrow as you are today. See, as Paul proclaims these things, he wants Timothy to understand the gravity of the situation. He wants Timothy to understand that this is a fight that is worth fighting. A fight that is worth throwing off anything else that would beset you. This fight is the fight of our lives. Men and women of God are commanded to turn from the worldly desires to godly character and fight the good fight of faith. So today, how do we turn and fight? We must flee our temptations. We must flee our temptations that we have at work, at home, at school, at the restaurants, wherever we go. Know your faith. Learn, grow, and study. And live out your faith. Start a Bible study. Share the gospel with somebody this week. Just talk to somebody you don't normally talk to. And these things work themselves out in different ways for different groups of people too. Think of of young people here. Young people who are just learning the word of God in Sunday school perhaps. And to them I say learn the word of God. Learn the Bible stories. Learn about Abraham and Isaac. Learn about Moses. Learn about Joshua. Learn about how great your God is. And ask questions. Answer the questions the world is asking you with godly answers. And serve. You're not too young to be a part of the church. You're not too young to serve in the church. Timothy is told that he should not let his youth be a reason people don't trust him or people don't see him as a spiritual leader. You're not too young to be a part of the church, to take this charge, to be an example. You're not too young to live for Christ. For young adults, get in the word of God. The habits that we form from probably 15, 16 years old to 20, are the habits we're going to have for decades to come. So form good, godly habits. Form habits that, that center around the word of God. And as you examine your hearts and your lives, identify the worldly habits that are pulling you away and separate from them. I teach youth group, and many times a simple application of youth group is that you're going to have friends in high school that you should probably separate from. Because as teenagers grow and as they, they become a part of society, they separate and they become who they're going to be for the next several decades. And the reality is that those friendships are hard to break because you want to be a part of those cliques, those friend groups, but you have to understand that the word of God is going to last far longer than that friend group. And that the word of God is far more important and your walk with God is far more important than anything that happens in high school. 
Combat those desires that you see. Combat those relationships. If there's a relationship that is just, it's bringing you down spiritually, it's causing you to stumble, get out of that relationship and be a godly example. For husbands and wives, grow in Christ individually. Support your spouse. Help them grow. Be a part of the beautiful picture of marriage that God has designed and do it biblically. Do it the right way. Follow the biblical pattern for marriage in your own life and encourage your spouse. For older men and women in the church, continue to be faithful. Do not stop growing in your faith. Disciple younger men and women. Be a part of this church's growth. Be a part of how we influence the community. Be a part of how we live and learn who God is. Know your faith. Flee the worldly desires that are around you. Pursue this godly character. Be a part of discipleship. Be a part of evangelism. We need to turn from these things that that are so easy to bring us down spiritually, to take us out of the fight, and we need to be active in fighting. We need to be living presently for God. Let's pray. Father, you're mighty. You are loving, you're caring, you are righteous. You are all these things, and we pale in comparison to who you are. God, I trust that as we've looked at your word, that we are pricked in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, that we are challenged to evaluate. Are we turning from those worldly desires? Am I fighting today the fight of faith? If that is not true, I pray that we would start today. In your Holy Son's name, amen.